Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. We're going to be reading in Matthew 6, 24 through 33. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God. Thank you, Georgette, for the reading of the word. How's it going, Hope Co? Hey, good to see you all this morning. And before we get into much more of our service, we just have a lot to celebrate this weekend. Um, We had yesterday an amazing veterans dinner for those of you that were able to be part of that, but awesome. Just talking to Mary Beth and just sharing this moment and being able to bless our veterans. Man, you guys sound great this morning as we are just here being able to worship God together, celebrating child dedications. Uh, the flannel and puffer vest game is very strong this morning. So those of you that got that, excellent. Joe, I see you, yes. And may I just say, we all successfully navigated another time change. Can we just give ourselves a round of applause for that? Small wins are still wins, right? And at a certain point, parents in the room, you know this, that you have to try and describe this phenomenon to your children. And we had the experience of trying to explain this to our youngest who would who, like, yeah, we get to change the clocks and, and just the, wait a second, we get to change time? <laughs> and so we almost spend our extra hour talking about how time is both a metaphysical reality and a social construct. But we opted to spend it sleeping, which was that, was, the, that was the right call. So we did that. But we're really glad that we get to share these moments together. Uh, for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Alex. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Hope Collective. And you are joining us as we jump in on a brand new series called Seeking the Kingdom. And really, this series is kind of bridging the gap between where we have been in the series that we were in on October, Truth Exposed, and where we're going to be spending time during Advent in the Christmas season as we talk about how Jesus' first Advent, his first arrival, prepares us and points us towards his second Advent and his second arrival. 
But we're bridging the gap between these two things because in our Truth Exposed series, where we've just been, we've been having this conversation about how truth, as much as our society will tell us that it either does not exist or we just have different versions of it, truth is a thing. And it requires something of each and every one of us. And I think it's interesting as we were in this series and some of the cultural stuff that was happening and has been happening over the past couple of years, I find it curious that we live in a society that will tell us that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And yet at the same time is ruthlessly committed to knowing what is really going on. And in an age of misinformation and fake news and propaganda and deep fakes, we are relentlessly committed to this idea of what's really going on, what really happened, who's responsible, and what does that mean for how we need to respond. Our culture is shifting. We do not have so much a problem with the reality of truth until that truth requires something of us. And all of a sudden, when I have to change my mind or when I have to accept responsibility or something about me has to be different or I have to admit that I'm wrong, that's when we have a problem with truth. But we're in this space now where we're talking about if Jesus and what he claimed about himself is true, then that requires a certain response from us. Jesus used the terminology of this impact the words that he used to describe it was, what does it look like to seek God's kingdom? Living in God's kingdom and seeking God as the king doesn't mean moving to a new place. It means adopting a new posture towards life. It means adopting an entirely different perspective than the world has to offer us. And it's an approach to life that is modeled for us in the life and teachings of Jesus himself. And if we are going to adopt this approach, it is going to require certain things of us. If we are going to respond to the reality of who Jesus said he is, it's going to take something different than we've lived our lives doing so far. So here's what we were going to talk about today. We were going to talk about this idea of kingdom values. Different kingdoms value different things. And those values determine what gets our time and our energy and our attention. Seeking God's kingdom means knowing what God values and then making decisions that line up with those values because those have become our values. But seeking God's kingdom also means that we have to come to grips with where we have misascribed value and actually said that things matter that don't. And to take the time and the energy and attention that we devoted to those things and turn them to the kingdom values that God invites us to live into. That's what we were going to talk about. So you just got a 30-minute message in about 30 seconds. You're welcome. Some of you are like, oh, great, we can leave. That's awesome. Great. Um, but here's the thing. Based on where we've been at the past two weeks and these conversations that our lead pastor Dave has been leading us through and this concept of identity... There's some different conversations that I think we need to have headed into this Seeking the Kingdom series. Our lead pastor has been reminding us of this idea of identity, which is how we answer the questions, who am I? And why am I here? But not just why am I here, but this deeper value of like, why do I matter? Of the billions of people who are living on this planet right now, and maybe the billions of people who have lived throughout human history, why do I, as one person in this sea of humanity, have any ounce of meaning or significance? 
Identity is how we answer those questions. Who am I and why do I matter? And if you weren't here last week, you missed not just an amazing presentation of this idea, but you missed our lead pastor's annual ladder analogy. <laughs> so you missed it, but we don't want anybody to feel left out. So we're gonna bring those ladders back out here and I'm gonna recreate, no, that's not happening. I saw someone over here was like, oh, is that happening? I know some of you were thinking it, so we're gonna bring it up and we're gonna shut it down right away. So that's not what's gonna happen this morning. But this picture of trying to keep our feet in two different kingdoms, one that is the kingdom of God and is gonna take us to the places where God has always intended us to live in our relationship with him, and one kingdom that is really the kingdom of anything else. Because at the end of the day, there are only two choices, with God or not. One of these kingdoms is real. One of these kingdoms will last. One of these kingdoms is not real. And at the end of the day, will not last. And the language that Jesus uses to talk about choosing to live our life with and under God in his kingdom, and the pursuit of that is this idea of seeking the kingdom. And what we need to talk about is the fact that our relationship with God and the fact that we receive our identity from him, it's not something that we have to work towards or cobble together from the stuff of this world, it is something that we receive from him. Our relationship with God in that way doesn't just change the way that we think and treat ourselves, it changes the way we think about what it means to seek the kingdom of God. Because seeking the kingdom of God has to do with devotion and care and pursuit. And so what we're going to do is we are going to walk through probably one of the most famous teachings of Jesus that Georgette read for us earlier, one of the most famous speeches in all of Western civilization, this passage in the Sermon of the Mount that we know is Matthew 6, verses 24 to 33. And we're going to walk through this kind of verse by verse, look at what we can see as we're going along and draw some conclusions about what Jesus is presenting to us about this idea of seeking the kingdom having to do with devotion and care, and pursuit. So we jump back in, in verse 24, where Jesus, in kind of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, begins with this, no one can serve two masters. And the word serve here doesn't really capture the strength of what Jesus is saying. The word that's actually being used here, we think serve and we think like volunteer, we think, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to do something nice for you, like random acts of kindness. That's what we kind of connote the idea of serving with. But the idea behind serve here is deeper than that. The idea behind serve is the total commitment of oneself to the good of another. It is this complete devotion that every other decision in your life runs through that filter. That's what's at the core of this idea of serve that Jesus is using here. The level of devotion that Jesus is turning us towards has less to do with like serving two masters being like working two jobs. It's like, no, I can juggle that. Just time management is the only issue here, right? This is more like the level of commitment of having two spouses. <laughs> that doesn't work. We read scripture and every time that happens, it's like, this is a red flag, man. This is not gonna go well. And if that relational illustration doesn't work well for you, total devotion, bears or packers? Bears, 
Cubs or Sox? That was a rhetorical question, but we have people that are already fired up right now wanting to answer this. This is Cubs or Sox. This is Ohio State or Michigan. Ooh, struck a nerve there. Guys, I don't know what I'm actually doing. I just Googled. It's like, this is like a pinata full of bees, man. Just stay away from that. I just Googled famous sports rivalries. And this is what came up on the Encyclopedia Britannica website. So, we're gonna move on. Thank you. Receive that. <laughs> Why is it that we have a better understanding of the necessity of total devotion to something with things that matter a lot less? Than the kingdom of God. But because we have even that little bit of understanding, we already know that Jesus is right in what he says next. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what our English translation has here is money. Not the best translation of what's being communicated. This is an Aramaic loan word. It's mammon. It's the personification of just the stuff of this life. Not just money, but like the currency that we use to do life in this world. Possessions, relationships, status, all of that. You can't serve God and be completely devoted and committed to him and anything else. It's one or the other, and there is no room in this life for double-minded devotion or half-hearted commitment. Seeking the kingdom, according to Jesus, has everything to do with this idea of total devotion. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on in verses 25 to 30 to talk about how seeking the kingdom also has to do not just with devotion, but with care. What will we devote ourselves to and what will we care about? Jesus goes on to contrast the cares of people who are not devoted to God to the cares of those who are. Verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you will have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Jesus is making an argument here to say, listen, if God can take care of the big stuff, he can take care of the little stuff too. Going back to what we said during our First John series very early on, some of you who may have been with us, if you can trust God with anything, you can trust God with everything. And if the God who did the miracle of giving you life, if he did that, he knows exactly how to take care of the life that he already gave you. 
And if the God who designed the complexities and the intricacies and the mysteries of the human body that we are still trying to unravel, if he did that, won't he give you the things that you need to take care of this? You can trust that if God can do the big things, he can do the little things. And Jesus goes on to talk about these two illustrations of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field to talk about the essentials that God gives us and the extravagance of life that God gives us. The birds of the air. Jesus goes on to say, look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store food in barns. They don't have a 401k or work overtime. But your heavenly father feeds them. He gives them everything that they need and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Apart from God, we will drive ourselves into the ground trying to secure the things that we think we need for this life. And Jesus is specifically addressing this foundational need just for food that his audience would have had. And most of us in this room, we're probably okay in that area. So let's just work our way up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Okay, we have our basic sustenance for life, but what about our needs for safety? Our needs for love and belonging, for security in who we are and who we are not. And that sense of personal fulfillment and purpose that each and every one of us desires and longs for. If God can take care of these base things, he can take care of everything else. And if God makes sure the birds have everything they need for life, won't he do abundantly more for you? But God doesn't just give us the essentials of this life. He also fills our lives with his extravagant goodness. So Jesus goes on to say, why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the greatest king that the Jewish people had ever known, in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as one of these. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and are thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Even if we have all of the essentials of life covered, each and every one of us longs for those things that are beyond us. These are the things that pull us out of this world of utility and efficiency and busyness and bring us into the spaces of awe and wonder and beauty. These are the sunsets and the sunrises that are worth pulling the car over for just to enjoy for a little bit. This is the music that brings tears to your eyes, even if you can't explain why. This is laughter around a dinner table. These are the memories that make you smile every single time. These are not bonus things. These are things that God gives us out of his love because he created us to desire and long for them and to find our fulfillment in him and in his good gifts. If God clothes the flowers, not just with clothing as a protection or a covering, but as an expression of abundance and adornment and beauty, if God clothes the flowers in such splendor that kings and queens and fashion designers and social media influencers can't even compete 
if he does that for flowers that won't last past next week, won't he do abundantly more for those who will bear his image forever? Our cares can look a lot different than the rest of the world's. I and mean, when Jesus closes this part, these verses, with this question, why do you have so little faith? This is not a question that is condemning or shaming, like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Why do you have so little faith? It's more of having come to the jury, presenting all of the evidence to say, ladies and gentlemen, do we need to have any more conversation about this? This is case closed. Why do we need to belabor the point? What reason do we have to doubt if we have a God who can provide and care abundantly more for us? Seeking the kingdom is about devotion, it's about care, and it is about pursuit. Jesus ends verses 31 to 33 with a so what? If everything that he just said is true, then what does the reality require of us? What does the truth of what Jesus is saying compel us to respond with? Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Rest on that word for a second. To have your internal world dominated by worry, anxiety, and care for yourself because no one else is going to. These thoughts dominate the internal world of people who have no relationship with God, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So seek the kingdom above all else and live righteously. Live in that reality and he will give you everything you need. Direct all of the time and the energy and attention that you spent worrying about the things of this life and trying to wrestle with the world to get what you think you need out of it. Direct all of that towards learning what it means to live in God's kingdom as one of his kids. And you're going to be all right. Easier said than done for many of us. But here's where we need to pause for just a moment with all the questions that we may have and the what ifs and the caveats and things we may want to bring as counter arguments to what the Son of God presents here. When we hear seek the kingdom, it's a phrase that depending on your background and your religious history, uh, it sounds very action oriented. There's a lot of impetus that's placed on us and what we are supposed to do, right? Well, I, I got to seek, seek the kingdom. What do I got to do? What's, the, what's my to-do list coming out of here? What are my applications? What do I need to move into? Religious could actually be the word to describe how we feel like we need to respond to this. The things that we need to do to make sure that we are seeking God and that everything's going to be okay because we're doing the right things. But before this passage is ever about our posture towards God... It is about his posture towards us. Jesus spends seven verses telling us about God's heart for us. 
Of these nine verses, seven of them are about God's heart for us. Two of them are about how we respond and what we need to do. And one of them is actually about what we can stop doing. We can stop worrying. And we can seek the kingdom. In the NLT English translation, over 200 words from Jesus about God and his heart towards us. And 30 words about how we respond. Which begs the question, who is this passage really about? Because in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is sitting here on this hillside giving perhaps his most famous articulation, his most famous offering to the world as his teaching. And he spoke to them of devotion and care and pursuit. But he sat there as the one who was embodying God's devotion to his people. The embodiment of what we read in Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Thank you, Jesus. The one who embodied Hebrews 13.5 as the author quotes all the way back to Deuteronomy 31.6 when God says, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. Jesus embodied this devotion of God and he embodied God's care for us. The one who sat on this hillside looking at the crowds who were like sheep without a shepherd, embodying Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessing. Jesus embodied First Peter 5-7, where Peter, looking back on the one that he had spent his life following during Jesus' three years and had committed his life to sharing with the world, can say, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Romans 8.32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us a few things extra? Everything else. Jesus embodied God's devotion, God's care, and the fact that God had turned the whole world upside down just to pursue us. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, Jesus himself, the Son of Man did not come to do anything else besides seek and save those who were lost. The embodiment of Psalm 23.6, to come to the conclusion and say, surely your goodness, Lord, and your unfailing love will pursue me, will chase after me. 
will hunt me down with goodness and grace. You will not let me escape your goodness all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus gave this teaching as the very embodiment of God's devotion and care and pursuit of us. So before seeking the kingdom is something that we do to find God, it is something that we do because he has found us. For most of us, seeking the kingdom has been all about what we have to do. But if you leave here with anything, leave with this. We seek God's kingdom first because he sought us first. And our wholehearted love for God is our response to his wholehearted love for us. There are things that we are invited to do, absolutely. Changes in how we think and feel and act and desire that the Holy Spirit is working in us as he makes us more like Jesus. But our seeking is going to be expressed in those ways. We need direction to engage all of those things. But if we don't seek the kingdom from this place of knowing that he has sought us first, then we'll just be replacing one religion with another. Instead of stepping into the relationship that God has always intended for us. And so as we begin this series on seeking the kingdom and where we're headed in response to all of this, I can't think of a better way to take these two realities together of God's pursuit of us, his devotion and care to us, and the way that we are invited to respond than by sharing communion together. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come down and begin passing the elements. And as they do, this idea that communion is this space that we are invited to enter into. This practice that Jesus himself gave us to remind us of these three realities, of God's devotion to us, his care for us, and his pursuit of us. Ushers, you can go ahead and start passing, yeah. When Jesus talked about this practice of communion and these elements of wine and bread, he talked about the wine as a symbol of God's devotion to us. That wine represented his blood, the blood of what Jesus called a new covenant. A covenant was an unconditional promise of faithfulness and love and commitment that one would make to another regardless of how the other responded. This covenant bond would often be sealed with a sacrifice to say, if I break this commitment to you, may I become like this sacrifice that is made. And that blood was a seal on this promise that was made. And Jesus taking the wine of communion says, this is the blood of a new covenant, my blood, my sacrifice, given to remind you of God's unconditional devotion to you as his child because of me. The bread that Jesus talked about, he said, this is my body, which is given to you. That body represents the care that God shows to these, this body that he gave us. 
the God of the universe stepped into our life. He took on a body. He took on our troubles. He took on our life so that we could take on his life. He became one of us so that we could become like him. And every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are reminded that God went first. Before our hearts were ever turned towards God, his heart was already turned to us and he pursued us before we could even name him. He had already named us and moved towards us to say, I created you for a relationship with me. I wanna bring you back into that reality and I am willing to turn this whole world upside down to make it happen. This is more than just a ritual. This is a reminder. This is an embodiment of that hope and that trust that we have placed in Jesus because of God's devotion and care and pursuit of us. So we're gonna take this together and then we're gonna respond with a song of praise and worship to the King who has sought us first, and after that, invites us to seek him above all else. And so we borrow words from the Apostle Paul, speaking of communion. When he says, what I have received, I pass on to you. Then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. I have taken on your life. I have taken on your cares so that you can take on my life and know that I care for you. We take this bread in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, after Jesus and his disciples had shared this covenant meal together, he takes a cup of wine he said, this is a blood, this is the blood of a new covenant. Thank you, Rich. This blood represents my death. The life that I will give to seal God's promise of love and salvation and redemption to you. An unconditional promise made out of God's devoted heart towards you. And when we take this wine, we are reminded of that devotion that would go so far for us. Let's take the wine together. And I love how Paul ends, how he talks about communion. Because he says, whenever we take this wine, Whenever we eat this bread, whenever we share this moment together, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes because he is returning. And God pursued us. And the miracle of what Jesus has done is that the God who has found us invites us to find him. 
and even after we've found him, even after we've come into relationship with him, to discover more and more and more of who he is and the depths of his love for us. And just as he has pursued us and keeps pursuing us, we find him and keep pursuing him, this king of all creation who has moved heaven and earth for us. So we proclaim the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. I'd invite us to pray as we get ready to respond in worship. Holy Spirit, there is nothing that we could ever do to make ourselves right for a relationship with God. So Jesus came and did what we can never do and brought us back to our Father, brought us back to our King and gave us a seat at the table once again. And it is in the awe and wonder of that reality that we pause to say, how can we respond with open hearts to the beautiful truths of what you have done for us. And so we enter into this time asking that you would receive our praise as feeble as it might be, but we give it out of love of the one who loved us first. Amen. You join us as we sing. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.